Reading to you from Proverbs 1, 20 to 2, 22. Out in the open, wisdom calls aloud. She raises her voice in the public square. On top of the wall, she cries out. At the city gate, she makes her speech. How long will you who are simple love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? Repent at my rebuke. Then I will pour out my thoughts to you. I will make known to you my teachings. But since you refuse to listen when I call and no one pays attention when I stretch out my hand, since you disregard all my advice and do not accept my rebuke, I in turn will laugh when disaster strikes you. I will mock when calamity overtakes you. When calamity overtakes you like a storm, when disaster sweeps over you like a whirlwind, when distress and trouble overwhelm you, then they will call to me, but I will not answer. They will look for me, but will not find me, since they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord, since they would not accept my advice and spurned my rebuke. They will eat the fruits of their ways and be filled with the fruits of their schemes, for the waywardness of the simple will kill them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will live in safety and be at ease without fear of harm. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud to understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for gold or for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He holds success in store for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in, walk, whose walk is blameless. For he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. Then you will understand what is right and just and fair, every good path. For wisdom will enter your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will protect you, and understanding will guard you. Wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men, from men whose words are perverse, who have left the straight paths to walk in dark ways, who delight in doing wrong and rejoice in the perverseness of evil, whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. Wisdom will save you also from the adulterous woman from the wayward woman with her seductive words who has left the partner of her youth and ignored the covenant she made before God. Surely her house leads down to death and her paths to the spirits of the dead. None who go to her return or attain the paths of life. Thus you will walk in the ways of the good and keep the paths of the righteous. For the upright will live in the land and the blameless will remain in it, but the wicked will be cut off from the land and the unfaithful will be torn from it. Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you for that reading, Shelley and Jared. Kids are invited to Kids Church with Emily today. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. How we discern and find wisdom in the world. This is our second Sunday in the book of Proverbs together. Um, 
and we read from quite a bit of Proverbs. So we started with um, the first reading that picked up from where we left off from last Sunday in verse 8 um, in chapter 1, and then we read the rest of chapter 1 that was both the uh, advice from the father uh, to the son, and then woman wisdom, which was read by Shelley, and then we went back to, to reading advice from a father again to a son uh, for the rest of that with a warning about Lady Folly. That's sort of the shape of the scriptures that we read today. And I sort of want to walk through those sort of in the way that the characters show up in them. So we'll hear from the father. We'll hear from Lady Wisdom. We'll hear back from the father. And, and this, this character called sort of the sinners who embody the way of knowledge. And I, and I think part of it is that we're still at sort of the intro to the book of Proverbs here. So I mentioned last week, chapters one through nine don't really contain any of what we call proverbs, those, those short sayings that sort of um, encompass great teaching that are passed on. That's, that takes up books uh, 10 through pretty much the end of the book. Um, uh, you get longer ones with the Proverbs 31 women, but, but a lot of those are um, shorter teachings throughout. But in the beginning part, we have sort of this frame to the book of Proverbs. Now, one of the things that I proposed last week is perhaps we read Scripture um, less attempting to try and make it a linear narrative, trying to force it into one story that we follow all the way through, but to look at it as how God relates to us. How God relates to us in creating us, how God relates to us in redeeming us, and how God relates to us in bringing us to consummation, to bringing us to the fulfillment of all things. And that these three ways in which God relates to us, I think, enables us to read Scripture better than sort of breaking it. The last Sunday we used the the classic sort of Acts, creation, um, fall, uh, Israel, um, Jesus, church, new creation, or new covenant, that 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 linear way breaks out, like, what do you say about um, uh, Proverbs? What do you say about Psalms, if that's the way you're going to read it? The second is, I made this joke in the new year. My mom was asking me, she wanted a linear Bible, um, one that sort of went through it chronologically, and I, there's, there's different questions there. Like, one, do you want it through, like, the order the books might have been written? Lots of people think Job was written first, so you could shove that to the front. Um, do you want it in the order of chronology of, of sort of the way we understand it in our canon now, but mixed a little? Or do you want, like, a Bible that starts with John 1, and the beginning was the Word, and the Word, and then she hung up? Um, uh, she, she was not in for that long. Of a, uh, she just wanted a chronological Bible, which uh, we found one. But... Um, Needless to say that, that the Bible exists in, in all these different forms and all these different ways of teaching and instructing us that to try and force it into one linear story, which is not entirely wrong, I think we need to, to say that, but to try and look at the way how is God relating to us might be a better way to read the scriptures. Particularly, if we think with wisdom literature, I think it falls into that realm of how is it God relates to us creatively that he set this world in this way. And in Proverbs in particular, this is, exists in a world of order, a very clear order. It's, it's this idea that if you do these things, your life will work out. Now, if you're my age, it was go to college, get married young, have kids young, not young enough, apparently, um, and then uh, get a job, and you'll retire at 65. Um, that seems to have fallen apart in many ways for many people in my generation. But there was this sort of advised, um, ordered world. And then, of course, there were, if, if I were to have asked people who gave me that script, 
when I was 16 or 18. And I said, well, are there exceptions? They would say, of course there's exceptions, but this is the best path to sort of be on. Proverbs would know that there are exceptions to the rules it proposes in the book. The father says, if you do this, things will work out for you well in this first chapter. Uh, if, if you said, is it guaranteed? No, no chance anything will go wrong for me. He would say, no, that's like, you could, you could fall in a lion pit or whatever happens in first century Israel. You could, um, you could fall into these sort of ways of disrepair. Um, you could get uh, pulled into relationships or land deals or family exchanges that lead to this. But this is the path that most directly, clearly leads you to where you want to go. So this is the way in which it, it sort of relates to us in the creative sort of ordered realm, that this is where Proverbs is. And one of the things that I proposed last week for Proverbs is that we consider that, that the fear of the Lord is, is the beginning of wisdom, where last week it was the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, that in some sense our disposition towards something greater than us opens these paths up to us. And I think that's what a lot of Proverbs is going to be captivated in, is how do we look to something beyond ourselves to order ourselves to the world? Or do we just make ourselves up as we go along? Is there some, some tradition, some wisdom that is passed on that we find that has been distilled and given to us that we move into? Or is there just a way in which we just sort of make our own script? And what Proverbs proposes for us is that you have to sort of um, move into that other space of receiving something. And so the, the first character I want to talk to about today is the son or the child. Now this is the assumed character who the father is speaking to. Um, I guess he could just be talking out loud, but he does say my son, and in other cases he'll say my child. Like this is the path that you should go on. And I think one of the first hard parts about this teaching, this idea that there's, is that we have to um, take a posture of humility to start this journey. I want to be the one who gives the advice. Most of us, or I shouldn't say this, uh, I think a fair amount of us uh, lived in a way in which we were handed down well-worn advice that we threw off. It's a common sort of trope is that this um, person is just whining, this person is just uh, vocalizing, uh, the, the old man yells at share phenomena, that the world isn't like it used to be. And so uh, in our modern world, we have this way of sort of casting off the wisdom of our elders, that we don't want to move into that spot. And there's, there's a, I would say this, one of those things is that age isn't exactly a one-to-one -one correlative to wisdom. I talked a little bit last week about the Berlin group that studies wisdom. They find out that the, as they, and this is like, people who study wisdom is a hard, uh, it's an odd thing, I get that. But like when they, when they um, uh, find these people, if people have selected it wise and interview them um, and sort of look at this, is that their wisdom didn't grow a lot beyond when they were 30. Their experience grew but they were conceived of as wise and trustworthy people long before they became aged. And so I think there's part of a, a truth to this is just because you're old doesn't mean you're wise. Uh, it was a hard one truth at my last church where there were plenty of people who thought they were wise and they were not wise, but they were old. Um, and then there were those who were old who were wise. 
And part of it was using the discernment on how to listen to those things. But to begin with the book of Proverbs, you have to be willing to say, there's people and there are things outside of myself that know more than I do. I come to this book as a child. I come and receive this instruction here. This is the place where we start this journey. And, and what the Father says is listen, which is, if you remember back to um, the Shema, hear, O Israel, uh, same tense, not the exact same word, but uh, same structure, uh, is to hear. And I think one of the things for our world today is what are we listening to and hearing? There's a, a Switchfoot song, hooray to early 2000s surfer rock, existential rock that's Christian, um, that, that says that we don't want to be adding to the noise. And so much of what our world exists in is nonstop noise. I uh, had to re-download an app on my phone that I used to, to search the web, and it, and it began alerting me again of just news I didn't care about. But I'd be standing there peacefully, and my phone would bribate, and it'd open it up, and it'd say, Boris Johnson did this, and I was like, ah. I wish the only Boris I knew was the one from Bullwinkle. Um, that we live in this world in which we have all this noise all the time. And not only that, we're, we're um, I've, I've tried to practice this myself, is w like, what would I know about economic policy? Like, people will, will not ask my opinion about it, but will be in, <laughs> this, nobody ever asks your opinion about those things generally, but you will be in a room where people are sharing their opinions about those things, and you'll feel like, I have an opinion too, I should share them. And in fact, like, I know very little about how you would solve problems of inflation in a global economy or how bad it is. But we exist in this world of, of sort of constant noise, constant distraction, um, and constant sort of um, opinions, non-stop. Um, not just on our world and politics, but on how we should live. I mean, uh, I listened to a podcast about um, uh, dieting the other day. Uh, we can talk more about that later. Um, <laughs> Um, but the guy, he, it was interesting because the guy had, had researched all the, all the dieting methods and, and sort of boiled them down to like three keep showing up over again, and they're old actually, the, the three that keep showing up, and, and what are the challenges and unhealth of each one in that. Um, um, but like we love to chase after what's the easiest way to do these things. And we serve so many other sources of noise. We hear so much. What are we hearing in the world? I just wanted to, this quote from William James I think of often is, my experience what I agree to attend to. Only those items which I notice may shape my mind. Um, how do we agree to attend to things? And, and this is, I think, even harder today is that like we, um, uh, if you're in line at the airport to uh, fly somewhere, now that that's starting again, and you put your, your stuff in the um, containers to go through security, and you look into there, there's an ad in the bottom of the basket that you put your shoes in to fly at the airport. William James lived in a, in a world where he thought his experience was what he agreed to attend to, but today we lose that often. Our mind are colonized as we just put our shoes in the basket at the airport that this is a new product, that this is a new way. This is a new thing that can grasp my attention. 
Part of what I would want to say, uh, I think we'll get to it at the end of the sermon, but sort of with Proverbs, is that we live in a world so antithetical to so much of what this is saying here. We have to know our own guilt and complicity from the get-go. We already live in these spaces so deeply, it's hard for us to hear beyond in that way. And so we, we, we have this way in which we are this child and we need to attend to things. We need to agree to have these things that we notice that will shape our minds. For some of us, that might mean turning off a lot of things to be able to hear wisdom again. Anything that comes to us in 30-second in sound bites over and over again um, perhaps might be devoid of wisdom. And so we have to inhabit that place of child again. The next character is, is the father in this story, although you should note that in verse 8, listen, my son, to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. What is implied there is that both members of the household are instructing in wisdom and path. This is, this is the start of um, this journey. And what the father inhibits is, is um, this one who is passing on. Now, there's a way in which the ancient Israelites might have read this as Solomon talking to the, the people of Israel as the children. So the child in that sense is corporate. Um, the father then is sort of this individual distiller of that wisdom, this one who sort of speaks this and passes it down. And what we notice in this exchange is there is freedom. You have freedom to disregard this advice, and there are warnings set up along the way. Um, that you can choose to follow sinners, the next group of characters. You can do these things. But it is this plea to follow these things and to seek these things. And then they will be like a garland to your neck and a chain uh, to your head and a chain adorned to your neck. That you will move. Those were, um, in the ancient Near East, signs of being raised up in a court. Not um, necessarily like a criminal court, but being raised up in, in sort of a sphere. It's that if you do these things, seek wisdom, you'll be raised up in this way. And one of the, the, this relates to the son point, this first father thing, um, but Charles Taylor, who we've talked a lot about before as we went through the Torah, he talks about a lot about authenticity. Now, I thought Charles Taylor was against authenticity, and so I, I went with him, and then I found out he's actually pro-proper authenticity, so bummer for me. Um, <laughs> you've probably heard me, but he says that this is how we conceive of authenticity in the modern world. Not only should I fit my life to the demands of, not fit my life to the demands of external conformity, I can't even find the model to live out by, to live by outside myself. I can only find it within. Being true to myself means being true to my own originality, and that is something only I can articulate and discover. In articulating it, I am also defining myself. I am realizing a potentiality that is properly my own. This is the background understanding of the modern ideal of authenticity, and the goals of self-fulfillment or self-realization are usually couched, in which it is usually couched. This idea of that, like, there is no father outside myself. There is no tradition which has passed me down. I am the definer of my own authenticity, and I am on this path to find it myself. There's, There's... there's two things interesting to, to note here. First is the more that we moved into a culture like this, there's evidence the more we all end up the same. The more there's this idea that we make ourselves, the more we become one type of thing. 
there's this, uh, the, the root word for heresy in the traditional world is, is choice. And it's this idea that choice leads to these things. It's, it's, it's coming to something outside of ourselves, like the Father who speaks wisdom, that actually might be the path which frees us. This is actually the next quote from Taylor. Only if I exist in a world in which my history or the demands of nature or the needs of my fellow human beings or the duties of citizenship or the call of God or something else of this order matters, crucially can I define an identity for myself that is not trivial. Authenticity is not the enemy of demands that emanate from beyond the self. It supposes such demands. What he's arguing is that as we try to live in this world in this way, creating ourselves and making ourselves anew and doing all this, is it's actually in finding the demands outside of ourselves that we find true authenticity, that we live in this way. Now, there is a whole publishing complex um, in our world essentially telling you all the external demands placed upon you are a lie. And you need to find yourself, your true path in the world. Uh, it's the, the mug you can buy with Follow Your Bliss, which is a, a total bastardization of whoever said that. That's not what he meant. Uh, he almost sort of meant follow your suffering um, because there you will find your bliss. Um, but we have this way in the modern world in which Everything is seen in that way that restricts us must be thrown off. So, to place myself in this story, to be sitting there with an older father who wants to give me advice on how I should live my life. Again, you probably, or there's a chance many of you are better people than I am, but sitting there and listening to somebody just telling me how to live my life, I would be scrolling my phone very quickly. And that's because attention and the ability to sort of sit in these faces, spaces and receive what can come from you from outside is lost to us. And part of the problem that's lost to us, uh, before I pick on young people too much, is that the older people are entering into their own adolescence again. The uh, number one users of legalized pot when it became legal in Colorado were actually people 55 plus. Empty nester, my kids are in college, let's go back to the time when I was free and there were no more external demands on me. Many of you may not be familiar with this, but there's, there's this new phase of divorce that's happening with empty nesters too. It's as if they stayed together for the kids and now that that external, comp the, um, external pressure is off of them, they can find their own path in the world again. So, even where to find the place to sit and listen to wisdom is not as easy as we'd think it would be, especially in a world where we're constantly being bombarded by this noise. The next group is, is the sinners who the Father warns them about. The sinners uh, invite him to come with them. They say they share their loot, um, uh, that they uh, ambush harmless souls, they're, they're, they're portrayed in quite a violent way. Now, in the ancient Near East, there would be a fair amount of this, but you, what you should hear also is that they, they store these things in their houses. Um, so you could go f somewhere from, from gangs to Enron executives with this notion of people who sort of lay in wait, um, who take advantage of other people, who sort of build these things into their lives. Um, and the sinners, they sit in death 
which I think is an interesting phrase that they use for us, for themselves. They, they sit in shield. They sit and wait in this place. And it's almost as if they're describing this is the way the world functions for them. Now, if you were at the Flannery uh, Connor discussion, um, there's a uh, story, um, uh, a good man is hard to find. Ray, Ray can tell you about it. But, but the misfit is this character who's already decided that, that God doesn't exist, that he has this conversation with the old woman at the end, and what she says to him is that, you know, um, uh, Jesus, what if Jesus really did raise the, raise the dead? And he says, if he did that, he threw everything off balance. But, but for me, I think that you have to live and seek pleasure in life the way it is and die. The sinners in Proverbs are pretty aware that they sit in the place of death. They're like the misfit, is there? If that's true, we could live that way but it's not true. And so we sit in death and wait for you to come and join us. Now, uh, last summer, we read Augustine's Confessions together. Um, and he steals a pair uh, when he's around 12 or 13, a group of pairs with his friends. And he is obsessed about what happened when he stole the pairs. And he makes two observations that I th- think worth or, or worth thinking about. One is he probably wouldn't have stolen the pears if it weren't for his friends. Now, he's not blaming his friends. He's saying that friendship is the key to, to living a virtuous life and living a fallen life. But what he says is the joy of stealing the pears actually came from doing it with other people. If I had been there on my own, there would have been no joy in it. The sinners in Proverbs, come and join us in this fun. Come and join us in this place. And this is, this is wisdom that I would have thrown off, is that you know, bad company corrupts. Um, and Proverbs is, is holding that out for us right there, is that these people will pull you down to their space. The second thing Augustine notes about the pairs is that he would have, um, he didn't need them. He didn't need the pears. He wasn't hungry. None of his friends were hungry. They barely ate the pears. The joy came in stealing the pears. If they had been free, he says, we probably would have walked on by. And there's this way, in, and if you know your soul well enough, there's this way in which going into dysfunction is its own sort of first adrenaline hit of reward. Breaking into that place. Uh, confession on my part when I was in high school or probably before I was in high school we got dropped off at the mall um, just very 90s thing we would get dropped off at the mall and there was my group of friends was into shoplifting um, and I, I participated in, in stealing a yin yang necklace from Spencer's for the no reason whatsoever um, all the stuff that my friends stole was never used it was almost more impressive that we could share in that joy of, of debauchery together in some ways. I should send a check to Spencer's now that I've confessed to that in public, by the way. I don't know if they're still open. Um, but uh, we had this joy in making that sort of gang of community, but it was a gang of lies and destruction. Augustine will make this point too later, is that, you know, it's how long before they steal from you if you live in a world of theft or greed. And that, that this is the way in which Proverbs sets them about, in which they sort of um, act in those ways. This is a, 
the um, psalm we read for this morning, which I love from Psalm 1, uh, sets up these two paths, and we'll get to the two paths uh, at the end of the sermon, but all, what, what the people do wrong is first they walk in step with the wis- wicked, and then they stand in the way that sinners take, or they sit in the company of mockers. And what I always love to point about is this, it starts with walking. And you know this if you think about the own ways in which you've gone astray, as you begin to walk with them. And then it moves to the point in which you begin to stand in their place. You begin to stand around them. And then it finally ends with you sitting and partaking where they are partaking. And Psalm 1 warns against this because you know when you start to walk with them. Sometimes you're aware when you stand But by the time you get to sitting, you really don't know where you are anymore. The path you begin to be on feels like home. You begin to wonder how you can live without this thing. Next is Lady Wisdom, who interrupts this scene. This is a, I just love this quote. Lady Wisdom is no gentle persuader. She shouts, leads, scolds, reasons, threatens, warns, and even laughs pulpit bashing, and hellfire preaching, if ever they were, all quite unladylike and nowadays so quite unfashionable and even frowned upon. Lady Wisdom stands um, in, the, in the city court in a public's face, and she calls out to the people, how long will you who are simple love your simple ways? How long, you mockers, delight in mockery, and fools hate knowledge? And then she says, repent at my rebuke. The book of Proverbs even begins with this call to repentance, to change directions, to set yourself on a different path, that we are to repent at this rebuke. And like I said, as as people just generally complicit in our world, we need to hear, you might be confident enough to say that repent is for the other people, but I, I tend to view in our late modern world, repentance as the continual task of our lives to continually set ourselves in a different path, in a different way. And she calls out to them to repent in a way, and she just um, points them that then I will, when you repent, I will pour out my thoughts to you, I will make known to you my teachings. That, that in wisdom's ways are supposed to be, um, in some sense, manifestly obvious, but also always rejected, always rebuked always thrown off. In this phrase, they are mocked. And what she says is that when you find yourselves in trouble, I will then mock you. That I will turn and mock at that point. And this lets us know some of the stakes here as we meet Lady Wisdom for the first time. Is that the choices we make matter. This is one of the hard parts about this, is that why is, is wisdom personified in such a way in which uh, she is able to sort of take joy in other people's falling? And it's because that there's, there's stuff at stake in how we live our lives. That God, regardless of what we think about hellfire and brimstone and, and that message sort of, is that God says that this history matters that how we live in response to his good word and world matters in this way. And so we are to reposition ourselves into this place. But whoever listens to me will live in safety and be at ease without fear of harm, she promises. 
One of the things that, that I think is uh, interesting about the book of Proverbs is that wisdom is personified. It's like wisdom couldn't be just this thing out there in the world, but needs to be a composite in such a way that it's like a person. It needs to be um, able to, to mock. It needs to be able to instruct. It needs to be um, uh, containing sort of a multitude within itself. It would be nice if wisdom were just simple and flat, but, but it, God in his wisdom through scriptures uh, personifies wisdom as a person for us so that we can say, how can I get to know this person? How can I begin to receive instruction from this place? How can I hear this voice is the call of wisdom? And she'll be contrasted as we get to the end of today's passage with the strange women or the uh, strange they say is a better translation, uh, the adulterous woman too, is that there's this way in which you can fall in love with weighty lism or you can fall in love with the adulterous woman. Um, yeah, Lady Wisdom gives us a place in turmoil. Returns back to the father again. And what we find with the father is that we have um, in this one, this, this path that I talk about last week is that there's a path towards wisdom and there's a ta- path towards folly. There's a path towards life. There's a path to death. Shelley asked me about how to spell didache last week, and so I put it on the back of the bulletin. If you're interested in looking up this early first or early first or second century Christian document that I think looks like wisdom, um, and this is not reject. Well, I did look, learn more about it this week. Some people didn't think it should be in the canon. Some people did think it should be in the canon, and some people put it in the Apocrypha, which was near the canon, but not in the canon. So uh, I don't think we would find much offensive in it today. It's pretty standard Christian advice. But anyways, it begins with this teaching, which there are two ways, one of life and one of death. And there's a great difference between the two ways. In John's gospel, Jesus speaks that there is light and there is darkness. There is this giant polarity that the the gospels feel okay with. And a well-known pastor not long ago wrote a book called Seeing Gray in a World of Black and White. Um, and I just thought, there are two ways. <laughs> one leads to life, and one leads to death. We are, live in a world that wants to see gray so much. And there are good reasons. I, I don't think it's often is clear to us why things end up the way they end up. But as we set ourselves in instruction and in hearing, it's, it's about these, which path will you take? Which women will you fall in love with? Which way will you go? And the father asks the son um, to, to, to accept his words, turning your ear to wisdom, implying your heart to understanding. And what it, it seems to be implying is what the Christian tradition uh, called theology for a long time, faith-seeking understanding. Um, or affection-seeking understanding. It's uh, um, asking you to fall in love with the content and the words and the advice, not knowing why yet. So when theology calls, uh, or when theology is called faith-seeking understanding, what it says is that we found faith. How do we understand ourselves with all of this faith? That it, it, that it says fall in love first, Bring affection to this place first. 
And then it will begin to provide understanding for you to move into this way. Indeed, if you call out for insight and cry for understanding, and if you look for it as silver and search for it as hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. And he sets up these two paths. Then you will understand what is right and just. Every good path for wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will protect you and understanding will guard you. There's big promises in wisdom here. And the nice part about considering a path is is that it asks us where are we walking? The path you have to go on. The path isn't the destination and the path also doesn't um, make you go there. You can know the path and not take it. What God asks us to do, what the book of Proverbs is asking us to do, is to set ourselves on this path, on this progression. Uh, One of the things I wanted to share last week that I forgot is that the book of Numbers for me was very much therapy for my soul. Um, And we conceived of the book of Numbers as therapy too. What I'm hoping, at least personally, for the study of Proverbs is that it may begin to set the path for order in my, my life, to begin to be able to um, rearrange the furniture of what's around. Numbers was this way of receiving sort of um, instruction from God into um, leaving behind the slavery of sin and death and walking into the new life. Perhaps Proverbs can be for me, and I hope in some ways for you, can be this way of reordering ourselves of putting our lives into some sort of order. Know that challenges may come, things outside of our control, but this is the path that we are to walk. We'll move on to the forbidden uh, woman or uh, the adulterous woman in the next section. Um, This is, is this way in which we move into infidelity. If you remember the book of Deuteronomy, it was funny, uh, somebody asked what I preached on the 4th of July last year, It's on a Saturday this year, and I said idolatry, which they did not think was wise. Um, But I said, it was, we were doing a sermon on the book of Deuteronomy and sermon series on the book of Deuteronomy, and essentially it was 10 sermons about idolatry. Um, Because that seems to be the main warning, particularly of the non-legal prescription part of Deuteronomy, is stay away from foreign gods. Stay away from that that which will corrupt and destroy you. At the end of the book, choose life not death. And for Israel, as they have been grafted into sort of love with God, one of the ways in which that falls apart is through infidelity with other gods. It's not wrong that this should be conceived as a foreign woman. And what she does is she forgets the covenant she made with God. She leaves the partner of her youth. No one, none who go to her return or attain the paths of life. And sometimes if you're going to sleep with this one, it pulls you so far away. It's the seeds of your own destruction are found here. And it's conceived of often in this power of sexual allure. Going back to the beginning, what do we attend to? I was uh, thinking about this last night, way too late. Um, but the most of us, uh, well, let's just put it this way. If you're just watching any sporting event on TV, you see something f- that 50 years ago would have scandalized the entire populace, or 70 years ago, uh, scandalized the entire populace, and 200 years ago might have caused them to, to start a big fire to burn those participating in it. 
Now, I'm not saying that, that uh, those two solutions are correct, but I always worry about societal trends that go too fast. I didn't grow up evangelical, but it, when I was in college, the evangelicals didn't drink. When I started in ministry, all their men's parties had to be beer and cigars. And I was like, it seems like you, you just went too far the other way. Like, it was one thing, you know, to say temperance is the ultimate law. Nobody can do anything the other way. But to go to, there are no rules anymore, doesn't seem wise either. And our culture seems to be in those swings. Some things are taboo. Nothing is taboo today. So what I want to end with is, is two things from the New Testament. This is going to be part of the challenge, I think, with this series is, is bringing it back to the one who embodies wisdom. The first is uh, this question from Romans, but I'll, I'll, I'll put the second interspersed with it. What a wretched man am I? Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? If I did this sermon properly, that should probably be the question arising within your soul. How wretched is this chance we have in this place? The deck is often, in many ways, it seems set against us in ways in which we can't move forward. Who will rescue us from this body that is subject to death? In the Sermon on the Mount, if you remember back at the beginning, in the antitheses, uh, the end of chapter 5, um, Jesus says that if you um, say hateful words to somebody, you're a murderer, and if you look at somebody lustfully, you're an adulterer. We live in a time where almost all of us are murderers and adulterers in which we have long strayed from the path that God has called us to we ask this question and what Paul answers is thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord last week in Isaiah we read that he is the one who delights in the fear of the Lord for us, in this age in which all of this seems to throw fraught with difficulty, if we are to move to this path as a church, as a person, as a people, it surely will be a lonely path, as it was in this time as well. But our hope is in that as we see death around us, thanks be to God who delivers us through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let us pray. God, we have heard wisdom cry out. We have seen your Son, who is the embodiment of wisdom. May we, as an often wayward people, find ourselves drawn into this instruction, to hearing wisdom again turning off the noise, the advice, the world that surrounds us, and coming back to what is simple and true. For there will not be many there, but what we can gain is more precious than silver. God, for those here who have wisdom, who have listened at these places, give them a voice to speak to us. For those in need of wisdom, give us hearts 
to hear and a willingness to walk that path in that way. May we fall in love with your Son, the embodiment of wisdom. We ask this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.